So I don't think I ever told you the story, uh, and if I did, stop me. But I don't think I ever told you the story about the the time that, the, and I can't even remember who this was. The senior leader for some big company was really going to teach me a lesson, and and he was talking about the fact that workers are are bad, and that they choose to purposely and deliberately not follow rules. And that's why we have accidents. You know, that's kind of the old saw. I mean, you hear it all the time. It's it's sort of an antiquity viewpoint, antiquated viewpoint, maybe is a better way to say that, of, um, you know, the workers, if workers were safer, we'd be more safe. And so I pushed him a little on it because he was not terribly nice. I, I hope he's not listening. Maybe he is, though. I mean, that'd be good if he hears this. Um, and I said, well, give me an example of what you mean. And he said, well, in our facility, we have a yield sign. And then he started to tell the story about how people would purposely not follow the yield sign. And I stopped him and I said, are you kidding me? And everything got really quiet and everyone was looking at us, you know, because everyone's eyes are as big as saucers. And I said, you're going to actually take me down on the ideas I'm sharing with your leadership team over a yield sign. And he still looked at me and he's really puzzled. And I said, a a yield sign. And then I looked at him and I said, what does a yield sign mean? And he said, yield. And I said, no, that's not fair. I'm not letting you have that. You can't define a thing by using the word that describes the thing. That's against the rules of logic. That's not going to work. What does yield mean? And he said, well, um, that I'll wait until the time is right. And I said, but that's not what the sign says. The sign says yield. What does it mean? I mean, really, is it a stop sign? He said, no. I said, is it a go sign? He said, no. I said, well, then what is it? Hey, everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am Todd Conklin, and this is the podcast that you, I'll bet you, you've listened to it before. Although if you're new, man, you are so welcome. I'm so glad you're here, and just jump in. I mean, I don't know what to tell you to do. Just it, it, They're all different, and they're all just just like this. This is If you're expecting more, um, you're not going to get more. But if you're expecting less, you're not going to get less. So it is going to be pretty much right where it should be for us. But nonetheless, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm glad you're here. It's um, it's an interesting time for us to live. And I know I talk about this crap all the time. I think, you guys, I don't know what to say anymore. Because the economy's definitely strange around the globe. And you can really see the interconnectedness of everything, which is from a vantage point, I guess, if you want to look at it kind of academically, if you want to look at it sort of and understand, learn and improve, it is really an interesting illustration of the complexity of the global economy and the complexity really of the, of the global environment in which we operate. And by operate, I mean, live, work, function, thrive, survive. There's many, many different things. And what amazes me is that there's great tragedy 
and not great tragedy, and they coexist at the same time, but they're still really interconnected. And so you feel it um, in a bunch of different ways, and and it's changing all the time. And I know that is definitely what we've talked about before, and I, I you can look at it and become horrifically just depressed, kind of bummed. I mean, it's pretty scary and kind of freaked out. And I think that's okay. I, I also think you can look at it and say, okay, what is the, what's the world teaching us? And what do we know so far? And what strategies do we have in play to actually help us not only make it through today, but align ourselves so we can make it through tomorrow? How's that? I mean, it's, it's a little philosophical, but it's a definitely kind of a crazy thing. For us in New Mexico right now, um, it, the the whole place is on fire, at least where I am. And so we're really living with um, a tremendous amount of stress around fire. And you're seeing these incredible um, it, people, uh, these adaptive, amazing, expert-level people who actually come and work on this kind of wildland fire. And every night, at least at my house, at around maybe 5.45, 6 o'clock, You'll see all the slurry bombers. I think they're calling them scoop bombers. That's what somebody told me. Kind of fly into the airport for the evening. And uh, and that's a really interesting part of reminding you that, that there's, there's natural disasters happening. And they're happening right now. And that idea that things happen, that's a pretty important part of what we want to talk about. It's definitely a foundational part when you think about sort of reliability because things that never happen happen all the time and what's interesting at least to me and you kind of, you might have a different view of this is that it strikes me that they're happening more frequently and now maybe that is um some kind of weird psychological bias i carry into the world you know because it was better in the old days than it is in the current days that kind of stuff that's kind of old man talk but you, you know what i mean I'm not sure it was actually better, um, but what's interesting is that you pretty much live where you live in the time you live, and if you practice any kind of sort of attention to the current state, uh, you could call that mindfulness or awareness or whatever you want to call it, it's all a big part of what we talk about, then you're certainly mindful of the fact that there are many, many, many significant events transpiring all simultaneously, which is really interesting. And part of that has been so interesting with the book that uh, Sidney Decker and I just recently put out. I don't know if you guys um, got a chance to see it. It's called Do Safety Differently. That book seems to be sort of timely uh, in its nature in helping leadership teams understand the current situation which is crazy i mean i gotta get sydney back on and talk about this because that was the farthest single thing from i I can't speak for sydney but from my mind when we decided to put that book together we did not write a book to help leaders change the way they dialogue and think about moving forward in an uncertain future that was not it we we tried to write a book that actively sort of helped give some applied usage to some of these theoretical ideas. 
Um, but it's weird how it it's it just it it came across. It's it's just different. And I think a lot of that, you guys. I mean, believe it or not, is just a function of timing. It's not that the book changed. It's that the world sort of provided an opportunity where the book kind of makes more sense, which is um, interesting because I think that has nothing to do with writing the book and everything to do with this sort of the timing of the book, which I'll bet you, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I bet that's true of everything, music and movies and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's all of a sudden, does the message fit the context? And what's interesting is that you think you're manipulating the message but in reality, what you're trying to do is meet the ever-changing context. How's that for a little bit of uh, philosophical fluff? Because that is exactly what that was. And I'm not even trying to kill time. i got tons to talk about today. Because today we're going to talk about ambiguity. So it's, it's recently been hitting the press a lot around this notion of ambiguity. And we're going to talk about it in great detail. But to me, the thing that's so interesting about ambiguity is the yield sign story. Because no matter how we look at it and think about it, that yield sign is always going to be operationally ambiguous. Now, to be fair, it's designed to be operationally ambiguous. It's designed to work when it needs to work and not be a hindrance when it doesn't need to be a hindrance. I mean, that's the whole point of a yield sign, right? But it, it's always going to be operationally ambiguous. And the important thing about ambiguity, and this is kind of what we want to talk about in detail, is that after there's a consequence, success or failure, right? After something happens, then ambiguity, uh, amb- I can't even talk, ambiguity always goes away. And that is exactly where we want to start our conversation today. So sit back. It's um it's a mid-May podcast. So you know we get a little more theoretic in mid-May and we're coming off the back of some really incredible conversations. Um I don't know what you thought about Jennifer Long, but I'm still kind of thinking about uh the the ability she brought to actually help make the concept of accountability, which is somewhat of an ambiguous term less ambiguous, disambiguating the concept of accountability. But that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk more about how workers operate in this almost unending environment of ambiguity. And it's certainly part of the VUCA chain, and we can talk about the entire VUCA chain as well. But this one, I think, is most interesting. So without any further ado, here's the podcast for today on ambiguity. Okay, before we get too far into this discussion on ambiguity, let's define the notion of ambiguity. So think of ambiguity as, uh, how should I say this? It's, um, It's a type of defining characteristic, meaning, let's go with meaning, that uh, creates an environment in which a phrase or a statement or a sign or a resolution or a rule or a regulation is not explicitly defined. So at, at several interpretations of what that rule, regulation, sign, um, 
policy, procedure, whatever rigid document, and these are all really rigid documents, there are several interpretations possible. And that's always true. So you can look at that, and the yield sign is such a great example. It, it can it can mean many things at one time. And it's sort of built around the idea of ultimately, it, ultimately there is uncertainty around something that was meant to probably provide certainty. So, and, and it's an attribute of, of a statement or a concept or a rule or a policy or procedures who, whose intended meaning cannot be definitively, I can't even talk, definitively resolved according to the rule or process or regulation or procedure or practice of which it, in which it lives, right? And so that notion that something is ambiguous means it can mean many things at once and different people very well may interpret it in many different ways. How's that? Is that earthy enough? That is a, a beginning concept of this notion of ambiguity. It's kind of similar to being wishy-washy or on the fancy or or vague. Vagueness is probably a great example, and and it's 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 oftentimes purposely and deliberately left vague. Thou should, as opposed to thou shall, because it allows that operational freedom or the regulatory freedom to actually use it in a different way pre-consequence than it could be potentially used post-consequence. So, and it's, and it's in everything. It's not just in safety. It's not just in rules and regulations. The world is filled with ambiguity. In fact, one thing that I think is worth talking about is the fact that as human beings, what we constantly are doing is disambiguating uncertainty. So we're taking these vague multiple interpretations and removing the ones that don't matter in order to make the ambiguous less ambiguous. That sort of is the jumping off point for a concept that if you get trapped in this too far, you guys, you can really go down a wormhole for like a month, which would be kind of weird and a little bit freaky. And sort of philosophical, you know, um, so the universalism, my thumbnail, if you remember um, that comment from a movie, which is a great movie, uh, um, uh, Animal House, really old, but worth seeing if you haven't seen it, right? That notion of ambiguity is on its face a vague way to understand and communicate Uh, an expectation, a performance expectation, either a behavioral expectation or a decision point, a choice, um, obedience. These are all things that are connected with ambiguous systems in retrospect, right? And so we have to think about what that means. And that becomes a really important part of what we talk about when we talk about ambiguity. Now, I'm not sure that in essence defined it, but it gives us a starting point 
Because the thing about ambiguity is it's actually a relatively difficult concept to talk about because it represents such a difficult concept in the world. Make sense? Good. Holy crap on a cracker. Enough already. Stop with the uh, unending definition struggle for the word ambiguous. Ambiguous is ambiguous. I don't know what to say other than that's uh, yeah, actually the definition for ambiguous is not ambiguous. But the word is is about ambiguity. I mean, it's ambiguous. What, what are we thinking? And that actually takes us to the entire reason I thought this would be a good conversation for the pod this week. Is I'm less interested in the fact that ambiguity is real and exists because it's real and it exists. It's everywhere. It is everywhere, all the time. And your people and the people who work with you and for you, in they encounter it all the time. I'm not that interested in proving the point that ambiguity exists because it'll always exist. We're different people and we interpret things in different ways. What I am interested in is what does one do when interfaced, when facing, when interacting, when seeing, when intercoupled with ambiguous systems, ambiguous instructions, ambiguous procedures, an ambiguous world. And that, I think, is something we could talk about. There is the room for the improvement. Because I actually think there are six strategies, at least I've come up with, and anecdotal evidence is really only evidence that there's an anecdote. I mean, I get that. And the thing about ambiguity is that after something happens, it's less ambiguous, right? We got that. We've, we've beaten that horse beyond uh, recognition. What we ought to do is talk about what are strategies for living in a world full of uncertainty. And that, I think, offers us lots to talk about. And, and so let's start with these six. They're pretty simple. And so uh, you might want to list them down on a sheet of paper or just make a mnemonic that spells something. Who knows? Just some way, try to capture these. The first strategy for any kind of operational ambiguity is to boldly act without knowing all the details. You're not going to know everything. It's impossible to know everything. So you make really your best assumptions based upon past experience, based upon current context, based upon opinions of others. But the idea that you're going to wait for perfect to somehow be present is the direct enemy of good enough. And so because that's there, and it's a big part of what we want to talk about, it's certainly vital and important to understanding that we have to boldly be comfortable with being uncomfortable. We have to boldly be comfortable with not knowing all the answers. The second strategy, which is really kind of tied to the first one, is confidence. So you've heard me say a bunch of times before that the two things that we manage are confidence and capacity. I, I mean, I can't say that enough time. If we believe we can do this job reliably, then what happens is we do the job reliably. I mean, that's just how it works. That's that's how we're sort of wired as human beings. And because ambiguity requires interpretation, and because, strategy one, you don't know all the details, it actually encourages you to take risks. 
and you have to be confident in your ability to take risk. Remembering, and I think the key is, is that you, you, you always couple risk with recoverability. So if you're going to take a risk, you build enough tolerance in that system so that if the risk fails, you still have some, um, David Woods calls it graceful extensibility. You still have some recoverability. So be confident and take risks and know that that exists not because you're a risky person, but because you're dealing with an ambiguous situation that actually requires of you confidence and some assumptions, some risk-taking, which takes me to point three, which is completely coupled to point one and point two. So if point one is know that you're not going to know all the details, and point two is be confident and accept that risk, then point three is plan for different situations. Have a plan B, have a plan C, have a plan D, uh, pick anything you want to put, Z, X, you know, whatever. But always have some alternative ideas in your head. Now, that's going to come up again, but this idea that you've built in this idea of recoverability or extensibility is vital in understanding how to move forward with ambiguous operations. And you'll do this really quickly. So we talked about yield signs because yield signs are fun ones to sort of think about. A yield sign requires that you act without knowing the details. Yep. It, it requires that you be confident. Somebody has to act, right? It requires that you have plans for different scenarios. And so those first three strategies are really important to understanding ambiguous situation, which takes us to the fourth strategy. And that is communicate, 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 which I think is tied directly to one, two, and three, right? You have to act without knowing the deets. You don't know all the details. Be confident, take risks. You have to plan for some kind of different scenarios. You have to have some plan B. And then most importantly, strategy four is you have to talk about it. You have to tell people. You have to communicate, communicate, communicate. Tell people what you're doing now. Not what you think will happen because you don't know what you, what will happen, but what you think will happen is part of telling them what you're doing now. So communicate, communicate, communicate. That's vital to everything that we talk about. And the reason it's vital is because it allows those around you who are also involved um, either directly or by association in the operational ambiguity that you're interfacing in real time. So that's going to be important. That's going to be vital to what we think about, which takes us to the fifth strategy. This sounds kind of official, sort of. And the fifth strategy, if there were going to be one on this that was a little wooly and a little fluffy, I actually think it's going to be strategy five. But you're going to see why strategy five fits, and that is that you have to embrace change. Now, there's a reason we say that. And the reason we say that is because embracing change allows you the ability to be wrong, to analyze that data, to course correct, and to move in a different direction without a tremendous amount of drama, as Jennifer Long would call it the last time we talked. And embracing change, what embracing change does is it allows you to understand that not every micro experiment you do will be successful. And when they're not successful, then you simply stop doing it. You change 
and you're okay with that change. In fact, you're not only okay with that change, you expect that change to happen. And when it does happen, it gives you the positive feedback. It, it allows you the opportunity to embrace that change and make a difference. So the strategy so far are act without knowing all the details, be confident and take risks, plan for different scenarios, have, uh, have some alternatives, have some recoverability, communicate what's happening constantly and consistently, embrace change, and then finally, and if you ask me, probably most importantly, seek diversity of ideas and opinions. This one's pretty powerful. Because the idea that when faced with ambiguity, one would turn inward is pretty comfortable. I mean, I'm okay with that. I, I feel like that's comfortable. The problem with that is that we know from the data, and there's a ton of data on this, that in fact, when faced with ambiguous situations, you want to seek differing opinions. You want to seek diversity. And you want to seek it openly and welcome it because it's vital to your ability to succeed in a highly ambiguous situation. Diversity helps disambiguate ambiguity. So the six strategies are really simple, but they're pretty powerful. And remember, we're not going to fix ambiguity because it's always going to be there. So what we have to do is create a strategy so that when we encounter ambiguity, which, P.S., it happens all the time, we're ready for it and have an idea how to handle it operationally or effectively or as a worker or as a leader or whatever it is you do. Number one, act without knowing all the details. Not knowing every detail is a part of any ambiguous environment. Two, be confident and be able to take risks. Three, plan for different scenarios Build in recoverability and extensibility. Four, communicate to those around you. Communicate to those around you. Communicate to those around you. Five, embrace change knowing that embracing change allows you the ability to say this direction's wrong. Let's do it the other direction and be okay with it. And then finally, six, seek diversity. Actively seek diversity. Constantly and creatively look for diverse ideas because diversity helps disambiguate ambiguity. That is our strategy for ambiguous situations. Which, if you ask me, you didn't. But if you ask me, that's way more interesting than defining the dumb term. So that's the pod for today. What'd you think, huh? Uh -huh, uh huh? Not bad. Not bad for a pod in mid, what what month is this? May? Yeah, mid-May, early May, kind of post-Mother's Day May. Um, it's not a bad, ambiguity is normal, no question about that. And we have to make our peace with the fact that ambiguity is normal. But to me, the power is not in understanding ambiguity is normal, because it just is. BFD, right? There it is. There it goes. The power is in having strategies to understand how we most successfully um, interface, intercouple, interconnect, um, deal with ambiguous situations. And that's why I think those six points are really valuable. I've thought about these a long time, too. This all kind of came out of um, 
Well, the uncertainty of the early pandemic stuff, I mean, we really had to look carefully at what does it mean when we can't understand and predict the future. Even though between us chickens, we've never been able to predict the future. I mean, we're bad at that. If we were good at that, we wouldn't be listening to this podcast now, would we? We'd be on your yacht, uh, zooming around some cool place. That's where we'd be. Yachting. (laughs) There you go. But until then, that is the pod for today. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's vital. It seems really more vital than normal. Um, uh, Take care and check in on each other. I need to do that more often. I'm kind of slacking on that. And most importantly, be safe. (laughs) 